Hey everybody, welcome to Animorphin Time with Nate and Tyler. Welcome everybody. Hey, uh, I'm Tyler. I'm Nate. And we're here with another interview today. Today, we've landed a pretty big one, one that I was excited about because when I saw these tweets popping up, getting retweeted, I saw these drawings and I was like, holy shit, that looks good. What is this? And then I realized there's an Animorphs comic coming. So me being someone with no shame on the internet just happened to tweet at the person making such wonderful art and begging them to come on the podcast and luckily they agreed to come on the podcast so today we have for you chris grine chris welcome welcome hey thank you so you have been tasked with adapting the animorphs is that fair to say is that accurate yes for the first the first three at least for now i'm hoping it's a lot more but you know we'll we'll see how it goes well you definitely scored with three really great ones yeah the, I'm the, they're good those, I like them a lot. those three stories kind of rock so I guess our first question for you is who are you <laughs> what what's your deal <laughs> uh, tell, tell us about yourself your work your art and what do you think happens when you die Wow okay uh, <laughs> feel free to not answer any part of that you don't want to no it's fine um as you said, my name is Chris Grine. Um, I've been making comics more or less professionally since about 2005. Um, my first, my first one was Chicken Hair, and that was originally through Dark Horse. Uh, went on to be nominated for an Eisner for that. Uh, cool. And then there was a second Chicken Hair book, and then I did kind of like some other some other collaboration projects with some people, smaller like two or three page things, and a couple other smaller projects one's called um witchfinder general uh and then scholastic at uh kind of approached me and they wanted to uh they wanted to pick up uh chicken hair and at the time the rights the publishing rights had elapsed and so it was you know that was i was super excited and confused <laughs> uh because i'd always wanted to you know uh, do something with scholastic you know i mean growing up with the book fairs and all that and i mean that was just amazing and so you know, I jumped at that opportunity and I was able to colorize the book that had kind of only been uh, black and white up until that point. So, and I got my foot in the door at Scholastic, which then led to uh, Time Shifters, which was my next book with them. And that's still to, to date, like my favorite thing I've created. Um, okay. You know, yeah. Tell us about that. That is, so I had this idea where I wanted this, this kid to like go on an adventure with like a just a random group of, of odd characters, like a scientist who has a dinosaur and maybe a robot. And there was like a ghost character, but I re it really wasn't coming together. And then there was also the part where like, I'm a parent and like, how is this kid going on these adventures? Cause that's kind of like kidnapping. And then I was, you know, I didn't want to scare kids either. Like these people take you away and you never get to come home. And cause I had a hard time coming up with a, a a valid reason why they would why he would leave on these adventures but then come back every day so nobody knew he was gone mm -hmm. um and that took a little while to uh, kind of a to to bake and then uh it can't it, I, my dad passed away about the same time which kind of gave me a different kind of perspective on stuff and that mm -hmm. was where some of the the main part of the story comes from because it's about a boy who loses a in the book he loses his brother and which kind of throws him for a loop and it's, you know, kind of depressed. He's kind of depressed and 
I'd say he's probably like 11 or 12, um, kind of going through a tough time because uh, they were really close. And then he does get kind of accidentally involved with this crazy uh, time-traveling, multiverse-hopping group of characters led by kind of a crazy scientist who's got a, a dinosaur and a robot Abraham Lincoln, and there's a ghost. And they're kind of on the run, they're kind of all the time on the run from these henchmen and this, and this evil guy who's trying to get the device that allows him to... Uh, jump through uh, uh, the multiverse and time and stuff. So I'm starting to see why they wanted you for Animorphs. Yeah, it seems like your sensibilities threats. and style fit right in. I don't, uh, so let me ask you this. What was your relationship to Animorphs before you took on adapting it and illustrating it? Honestly, I had read the first book, but like a long time ago. Um, Cause basically, uh, you know, the books came out in 96 is when mm -hmm. they started coming out. And so I was, that was right after my freshman year of college. And I was at art school and it's, I mean, I know all colleges is hard, but art school was, man, with the regular stuff, just the regular curriculum followed by all nighters of art and stuff. And I just didn't mm -hmm. have a lot of time to invest in the reading as much as I wanted to. But every time we'd go out, like one of our favorite things to do is to walk down to Barnes and Noble. Um, and I would see these crazy covers of these books and I was like, I got to read that. I don't know what that is, but I have to read those books. Um, and it just kind of, I read the first one and I think I was halfway through the second one. And then, you know, just life kind of catches up with you and, yep, absolutely. You know, you know, jobs and stuff, trying <laughs> to make money and, you know, also, but anyway, so up until they asked me, I was aware of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew that I liked the first book a lot, but it had been a while. So I didn't really remember much about it. So that kind of echoes my exposure to Animorphs. I, I was a uh, adult reader of Animorphs <laughs> up until recently. And um, yeah, the, the covers is the one thing I remember too, because they're, they're so striking, you know, especially at the time, like they were just kind of like really out there. Um, so I guess that kind of leads into like some of the questions I had for you about adapting, you know, Animorphs into a visual medium, right? Like, th there's some things out there, right? There are the covers done by David Manley, friend of the show. Friend um, of the show, yeah. <laughs> uh, Humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's not true. <laughs> we love him. We love you. Um, and, you know, like, there's also the, the TV show that ran for a while. So, like, are you trying to just go into this blank slate, like, not really, like, diving too deep into kind of what the visual representations of these characters are? or Well... Okay, so I had to be kind of careful because obviously I didn't want to like, you know, steal people's ideas or what, you know, uh, things like that. But if these books had come out like last year, I'd say I probably could have done whatever I wanted with it. Nobody would have probably known. Nobody would have cared or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's been like decades of of readers and people who love these characters. And there's been, like you said, book covers and um, there's been a, a TV show that's, you know, questionable. And yeah. I did buy the first season though, and I was watching it while I was working on the book just to make myself laugh a little bit. <laughs> it's um, not great. <laughs> oh, it is not. It is I'm so excited. <laughs> it is not great. But um, so I did look at all the stuff because I was like, okay, what what aspects of like the aliens and the ships and stuff like what you know what are what do people think that these look like as a whole? So I just kind of took I kind of just looked around the internet for quite a while. I took like a week of just researching, you know, and and I would just take like the things that seem to appear the most um, or the style that people are the most familiar with, like I thought it would have been a really bad idea to try to fully recreate, you know, 
what a, a horpagir looks like or or even an andalite to that extent you know because what if my clean slate version um because i was trying to come at it like from a very pure perspective what if that was so different yeah. than what you know people had grown up reading and you know the adults who grew up with it and want to pass it on to their kids you know what if they look at it and they're like well that's not what i and, and andalites are so like well established at this point like it would be you're, you're right it would be hard to break from kind of what's been visually represented as an andalite at this point yeah it's hard i still try to put my own mark on on everything and obviously not copy things that I'd seen, but I just tried to find like a happy medium there. I did have people, cause I posted some early, some art kind of earlier on after they made the announcement. Um, and it was kind of a, a picture. It was an odd angle of one of the uh, Andalites. And I, I think it was a uh, Visser three, but somebody, boy, it, it started like a, a conversation and it was very civil. It wasn't like angry fanboy, but they wanted to know like, which version of Andalites am I drawing? Like the kind in the book or the kind that was, you know, on the covers of the books that was absolutely wrong. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I spent a lot of time on, on the Wikipedia stuff too. And, um, and I, I kind of figured out what they were talking about and they were exactly correct. Like if I'm going to make this true from the books and not from, you know, what's just kind of sprung up over the years, then I have, I have to make sure that I'm paying attention to that description. Mm-hmm. One yeah, you've got to get all eight of those fingers or oh, God. you will not sell any. <laughs> oh, no. It's really fingers. hard to draw. <laughs> it makes no sense drawing a hand with like seven fingers and a thumb. I will, yeah. I will say that. It, it just looks like you're doing it wrong. It's um, Anytime I see Andalite art, I always look at the fingers because that's the weirdest part. <laughs> well, one thing I found too that's been, it's it's a little frustrating only because you know, I, wanna, I want this stuff to be as right as possible for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, like, th- there's like times like in the in book one and even book two probably where they'll describe something but or maybe they'll just kind of kind of a just kind of breeze by something real quick but then they they do a full description of it in like book four like well that doesn't help me in book one right uh what if i did it wrong in book one i can't just go back and change it now um so i have spent quite a bit of time on uh there's a a wikipedia site or shout out to syracuse Yes, yes that's it, where, yeah. <laughs> there's actually a part like towards the bottom of each book where it's got a list of inconsistencies and stuff like that. And <laughs> I've read all that and I've taken that all into consideration, like making sure that if there's any inconsistencies that I can fix, um, then, you know, this is the time to do it. So I've been trying it's been a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I bet it has. I think that there's there's just a lot of love out there for animorphs. So I, I know that you know people out there will will pay attention to that and really appreciate it. Yeah, you know, done that research. They'll appreciate that, and I know, at least speaking with my experience with animorph fandom, animorph fans are very nice. <laughs> they're very, they're they're like, oh yeah, cool. I mean, it's not perfect, but here we are. So. I imagine anything you make is just going to be like gold. I know it will be for me as a child Animorphs fan, you know, a CAF. <laughs> Don't try to acronym that. <laughs> Trying to make a thing. Uh, when I, before the, the podcast even got started, I saw the announcement that an Animorphs po- uh, comic was coming. And I've always been a huge comic book collector. So I was like, oh, holy shit. This is, oh, here we go. Because when that was announced, it was right around the time Nate and I had started working on this, like putting together what we wanted this to be. And so we thought, damn, it's a good time to be an Animorphs fan. And, you know, Nate wasn't an Animorphs fan, so he's getting there now, baby. 
Well, yeah, and then they just they just recently announced the movie, yeah. uh, which I had no idea about until it was announced publicly. I mean, I didn't have any like insider knowledge, so I got really excited too. Yeah, especially because they, you know, who knows? They might draw from some of your art. Because I don't imagine there's a lot of like you just had posted your interpretation of the Van Arks, you know, the Yerk Band. I don't think there's been very much art on that at all you might be forging new grounds in making that. Maybe. Um, I would love it if they did, but I don't know. Like, um, if they do use something of mine, I just, I would hope that it's, you know, makes whatever they're doing stronger or right. whatever. That would certainly be awesome. I wouldn't hate that. How much freedom do you have in creating stuff? You talked about how you're trying to look for inconsistencies and how to design them, any of these creatures as best you can. But what sort of freedoms do you take? What do you have? What what do you bring to this? You know, I guess I just kind of started doing book one when they said, here, you know, do it. Uh, so I, I had to pencil the whole thing out. That's, that's how Scholastic works. You know, it's kind of like turning in a rough draft, mm -hmm. but it's the entire book in like pencil form and lettered. So it's pretty labor intensive. Uh, and then you get notes on, you know, scenes that are working or whatever. Um, I didn't change a whole lot because at least in the first book, there wasn't a lot of time. I mean, mm -hmm. that book clocked in at 230 pages. Right. And that was not adding anything you know, <laughs> to it. Um, and I didn't see anything that really could be cut out either because it was also necessary to the plot. Yeah, they really move in terms of what is in the books. There's not a whole lot of fat to trim. No, um, especially in book one. Um, it was just all, you know, world building and character stuff and nothing was nothing could really be cut out so i added i added jokes like that's one thing that i like to do in my books mm -hmm. that, I, that i write is i try to make them as funny as i can when it's appropriate um and so that was something that i was hoping that i'd be able to bring to this and i added quite a few jokes or i added on to jokes or i tweaked a few jokes that were already there um so to answer your question, I don't know how much freedom I have. No, nobody pushed back on it. So clearly I didn't step, I didn't step out of bounds. Um, but I think part of that is that I'm trying really hard to respect the source material mm -hmm. and capture every, you know, every look or touch or anything, anything that I can that makes sense that I can, because that's easy to add to like a panel, mm -hmm. you know, somebody's a side look or just a, a gesture, a hand on a shoulder or something that's easy to do. So I'm, trying to do as much of that stuff as I can. And um, I just have no, at least, at least for now, um, I don't have any real desire to be adapting things to the point where it's, it's so different that people are, you know, reading it going, well, that's not how it happened uh -huh. because I'm not a fan of it. Adaptations like that myself. Right. And I, part of it comes from that. I, I love movies and TV shows and especially ones that are based on books and stuff that I've read. So I get, a little irritated um, as a viewer when I see changes made that seem just arbitrary mm -hmm. just for the sake of changing something or I don't know, somebody kind of, I don't know, trying to take some ownership of it, even though it wasn't necessary. Right. And so I'm, that's also something I try to do with the way I'm, I'm approaching these. So um, how far along are you in, uh, in reading the books? Yeah. Um, how many books have you read or are you, I mean, you've got to be, you have to have read the first three. I've read, I've read the first five okay. like, over and over and over like that. Um, beyond that, 
I'm a little, I'm a little bit more vague on them. Like I, I have read like, um, like uh, synopsises of them online and stuff. And it's not cause I don't actually, if I had time, I would sit down and just read them all, but I do not have. No. Yeah. We get <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it can be a lot there. I mean, there's all told between everything about 60 books. So that's a commitment. And what, what I've been doing though was like, you know, they started bringing out the audio books. So I've bought the first three audiobooks, and I've been kind of listened to those kind of on repeat um, while I'm inking and coloring because that's when I'm like at my desktop. Mm-hmm. So I listen to those or I've, I found a lot of Animorphs podcasts that I, I just like to listen to because people are laughing and enjoying the stories. And uh, Again, we apologize for our podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The, fan, the fandom, you know, with uh, with Animorphs, like you said, it just seems so genuine and pure and kind. Like, I have i don't think I've heard or seen on Twitter anybody get mad about anything or get kind of pissy about anything. I just, it's, I guess it's going to, it's bound to happen at some point. But for now, I, I haven't experienced it. And No, I would say that we're the better truckies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like we're the, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, like, is there any particular scene that you're looking forward to to drawing out? Like, you know, say, you know, you get the, the contract for the next two books and you have all the books that you read open to you. Um, like, is there a particular scene that you're looking forward to, like, really, you know, kind of fleshing out? You know, I don't know, because I just, I'm trying to approach them one at a time. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, yeah, I'm trying totally. to... Yeah, totally. Yeah. I don't know. Like I've, I've just, I'm, I'm doing it like scene by scene uh, as mm. I go, but I've really been looking forward to doing uh, book two only because it's, it's just much more of a smaller scope of what's going on. Like the first book was just so like movie blockbuster type of a thing. Like I could see it being adapted into a movie, no problem. But the second book is just, it's so much more personal and it's deals with some very real family, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a father story, right? It's a divorce story. Yeah, like, how do you care for someone who's just in pain, or how does a child of divorce survive when their life is constant pain and neglect? I get it. And and like so in that book, like the scene that I can't wait to get to, I'm scared <laughs> because I know I got to do it right. But um, the scene towards the end, and I don't want to ruin this for anybody. Who, spoiler alert: um, th- there's the scene where Chapman shows up with you know, with the cat and everything at the end at the, at the uh, construction site and, and his, uh, the real Chapman fights, you know, fights the yerk in his head in order to address Visser three directly. And he's like shaking and trembling and he hasn't been able, he hasn't stood on his own for like God knows how long and he can barely talk and he's crying and it's awful. It is just awful. This, you know, and he's begging for his daughter to be left alone and he's, it's, it's, ter- I mean, you know, followed by these, these kids who turn into animals and fight aliens, but then there's these moments that are just, like, gut-wrenching. Oh, yeah. There's there's some stuff in book three that I can't wait to see what you do with in terms of gut-wrenching. Yeah, and in book three, I was, I just posted some stuff about that yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw that on Twitter. I was just kind of thinking out loud, but, like, I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to approach book three because so much of it is happening in Tobias's head. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's his own personal kind of uh, journey of kind of finding himself or or, or uh, finding his new path, and it's so much of it's in his head. Like, do I just fill these pages with thought bubbles? Because I don't know if anybody's going to enjoy that. And it, yeah, that's and I can't just have him talking to himself the whole time either. <laughs> and you know, so I'm gonna I got to figure out 
the best approach for that. But that's part of the fun for me is getting to adapt these is each book has a different flavor and you know, that one will just be what it is. I guess when I get to it, I'll have to figure, figure it out. <laughs> so what is, what does it feel like for you as an artist and maybe just through an Animorphs lens? Let's say, do you have any kids? Yep. How old are your kids, if you don't mind me asking? I have a six-year-old boy and a 12-year-old daughter. Okay. Let's say that your 12-year-old daughter reads your copy of the second Animorphs book, and it has that same emotional impact that, say, it had on me. What? How does that feel for you as an artist that you might be helping to have that impact on a newer generation? Because I read these books as a kid. They obviously left an impression in me to a point that I didn't even understand until I started examining it with Nate. But for like, as we said, as crazy and as ridiculous as these stories can get, they have these human, terrible, impactful moments that just will hit really hard if you're a kid. How does that feel to be creating stuff like that, that you know that these moments have been out there and that they have created impact for decades? I guess... I guess I just hope that I do those scenes justice and those things justice because I want, that's what I want. I mean, you know, I want people to read the graphic novels and, and have an emotional response to it. No matter what, like if I'm making a joke, I want them to think that that's, I want them to laugh. And if it's sad, I want them to maybe tear up a little bit or cry. You know, I mean, that's, I don't know. I just want to make sure that I do it right. So I'm not thinking so much about that as much as while I'm working on, I'm trying to make, I'm just trying to make like the scene at the beginning of book one, where they're in their, their, the, the aliens, you know, they're, they've all landed all the hork and the kids are hiding, you know, and they're terrified. Uh, and, and uh, what's his face? Elfangor is kind of being, you know, I don't know dealt with uh, without giving away <laughs> yeah. too many, you know, and so, you know, I had the kids hiding, but they're also in their eyes. I made sure I was trying to make sure their eyes um, look, looked like wet, like teary mm -hmm. because they're terrified. They're not just scared. I mean, they are kids and they're in a very real life or death situation. And, you know, that's just the kind of stuff that I hope comes across. Um, that That's, you know, that I took extra time and um, trying to make sure that I nailed those moments. So, we'll switch to a more fun question now. Which Animorph are you? Which one do you like drawing? Who's, who's your Animorph? Like, let's, let's hear Chris's Animorph. Because I know that I'm a Tobias with Marco tendencies. Let's see. Nate, uh, we'll call you a Marco with, like, a Cassie aftertaste. No, I, I think I'm moving <laughs> over to an Axe. We'll call myself oh, an Axe. Yeah. I'm Axe at Cinnabon. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably more of a Marco, but with less of the, uh, with more of a positive outlook on stuff. And I guess, I don't know if that, I'd hate to say that's Jake. Cause Jake, you know, I know you guys have spoken about Jake. Well, I mean, so, but I think he's more just role. like the every man kind of an entry point for people. Mm -hmm. uh, they can just kind of put their own stuff on him, I guess. Yeah. He's the protagonist. He's the, he's the leader and our critiques of him I would probably be a little unfair, but also, I mean, Nate doesn't know that Jake's leadership or lack thereof it becomes a huge point of the story. 
So I, I'm a bit curious about like, so you, you kind of inject some humor into these scenes, right? Because uh, like the first book, I don't remember particularly being that funny, but I could see like opportunity for a really good comedy, like when Jake eats the spider, say, or. Yeah. Um, so, so like, you know, is it just kind of like a, wouldn't it be like, what, what's your process for writing these jokes? Because well, it sounds so like they're, they're made, uh, made a whole cloth here. I try not to like shoehorn them in. I try to make sure that they're, you know, I don't know they, that they seem right for the moment. Um, and like, for, for example, I don't know, like, I think I talked about this in the, uh, the Comic-Con panel I did here a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that, but I did not. I'm going to go Google well, that. It's Shit. fine. <laughs> you know, you really don't need to, but, uh, uh, yeah, just well, do it so, word so for word now. So after Jake eats the, eats the spider and that whole thing goes down at the school and then, and then they're, they're ba- so the way I handled the adaptation of that scene, because cause I didn't want to do every scene just like, okay, here's this scene, and now here's this scene. I, I don't think you could. <laughs> well, I, so the whole time Jake is like a lizard, right? He's like talking to himself, and he's, and he's dealing with all this stuff, like these giant feet moving around, and what's mm-hmm. going on? So what I did was I had the scene start with, with the kids kind of at Jake, kind of gathered around Jake's locker in the morning right before he's getting ready to do it. And there's like a there's sp- kind of word balloons, but they're not really tied to anybody. It's kind of like Jake narrating what, what happened. So it's kind of narrating over the top of what's happening. And then it cuts right to the mall where they're hanging out in the food court. And that's where it kind of wraps up the story. So it's kind of like a flashback, even though you're, you're reading it in order. I don't okay. know if that makes sense. It does. But, yeah. But the whole time Jake's talking about it, he's, he's shoving nachos in his mouth like just because he's disgusted because he ate a giant gooey disgusting spider and so and so they're having a normal conversation about what the next move is and the whole time every time i have jake in the panel at all he's he's got cheese on his mouth and yeah like cheeks are full of nachos and marco at one point is is mad that he this is like the third thing of nachos and he hasn't even had one yet (laughs) and it just goes on and on and jake's talking and and then there's a scene where you know, the big, the big moment where, where Marco goes, yeah, we're the Animorphs, which, you know. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I had, and I, and I cut, I immediately cut to, cause he's smiling when he says it, like, we're the Animorphs. And then it cuts to uh, Rachel, who just has this look on her face, like, what? And, and Jake, <laughs> it just cuts to Jake, who's still got a mouthful of nachos. And he's like, I wrote it like, that's, that's dumb, Marco. Cause you know, he's, <laughs> he's got, so much food in his mouth um but and that's the end of that scene so <laughs> that, that's a that's a good angle like yeah i i think what i like about that is the the books there's a lot of descriptions about how gross it is to morph into another animal <laughs> yeah and like you know the, the one that sticks with me the most i think is the transformation into a fly where it just like goes into gross detail oh my face melted off and like <laughs> obviously you can't draw that for a scholastic comic uh, scholastic uh, comic book yeah that's my question how so, gross do you make the morphs yeah how do, how do you approach that you'd be you i like i said i have gotten zero pushback and that's cool i mean i don't <laughs> i do have like i'll do like pages where it's just like a montage of like panels of like different especially when it's multiple kids changing at the same time, it'll be like Jake's arm, but it's like got several extra bends in it. And I'll have like word blues that are like snap crunch, you know, and it's just mm-hmm. gross um, you know, for the most part. But, um, you know, the part draw, I, thought I, I thought I'd get the most pushback for was like that final, f- final battle where Rachel is literally 
stomping on taxons and they're in the, the word they're described in the book is they explode yeah, yeah. Uh, with goo everywhere or Tobias swooping down and ripping the eyeballs out of the yeah. orc bajir. And I just drew it all. <laughs> Damn. And I, I, I was like, you know, we'll see uh, how it goes. I mean, the worst case scenario, they're going to say, eh, maybe we don't need that drawing or maybe that, you know, and, but they never did. It, it I try to be respectful of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I try to be. I try not to step over the line by making it too crazy. But I didn't really shy away from it either. Like I tried to. Like there's a part where Rachel has clearly been dragging part of a taxon with her elephant foot uh, through multiple panels. It's just <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and I think maybe because the blood isn't red. You know, it's like purple or, mm-hmm. or green. Um, I actually looked that up too online to make sure I was making the blood the right color. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sure that helped too. It makes it a little less visceral for kids because it's not red blood. It's just alien blood. So maybe it's not that big a deal. But I mean, yeah, that was the workaround for the old Ninja Turtles cartoon was they couldn't kill the Foot Clan if the Foot Clan were humans. But if they're robots, you could just decapitate them and throw them wherever you want. Yeah, and I mean, I just... I haven't really had much, uh, much pushback in that, in that department. I kind of thought I might, uh, since it's scholastic, you know, and they t- typically do, you know, very all ages type stuff. And, uh, I was prepared to have a, you know, have that conversation and figure out, you know, what to do with it, but they thought it was fine. So it's good. I'm, I was really happy about that too. Sweet. So do you have a release date for this? The first book is October 6th. So October 6th. Up. That hasn't been moved at all thanks to the wonderful poison air that we now have in the world? No, not yet. I don't think it will be, so. It's, yeah, that's, I mean, I guess, because it's probably published by Scholastic as well, isn't it? Yes. I mean, they're such, they're a pillar of publishing that I don't think they would be affected by this at all. Well, I mean, it, I guess it could slow down, like, because I, I think most publishers have stuff printed overseas and stuff now so i mean it could have slowed down but it seems like everywhere but you know in the yeah US, it seems like everybody's kind of getting back to work everywhere where we outsource all of the hard work they're going to be able to do it anything we want to do nope yeah so do you think corona's caused by 5g towers <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah don't <laughs> we don't have to <laughs> oh just oh my god Insanity oh, it's it's wild right it is I don't, it's, I don't know. I, I don't want to go off too much on this. I'm a nurse. It's people who aren't going to even care about other people. It's just wild. Well, the, the great thing about Amorphs is that uh, it exists in a world of the 90s where we don't have to talk about anything like this. Yeah. So it's great. <laughs> uh, well, actually, that, that's a good question. Do you update, like, are you going to update the, the styles for a, a modern audience? Or are you going to, like... How, no, it's all try 90s. Stick, it's all nice. So it, it is a period piece. Though. I'm gonna buy the shit out of these comics. <laughs> well, it is, and you know, I like I graduated high school in '95, so mm-hmm. I, you know, even though I, I prefer the '80s more, I mean, I grew up like my, my middle school and high school years were the '90s. So I mean, I may not remember all the terrible fashions, but I know them when I see them. <laughs> and, you just need to look and, at some of the some of the covers really reflect the style of the time and there's this one in particular of um axe when he turns into a human where he's just wearing all blue like yeah. blue jeans blue shirt blue everything and it's like this is the 90s thing i've ever seen i love it <laughs> yeah. oh yeah it's good full denim full denim all uh, denim yep, the- all acid wash oh, like okay. some jinkos let's get all that in there <laughs> well and like so, okay so here's something i did too that might get some fans might be like 
a little bit upset about. I don't know if they'll be upset, but like well, they, hold they're on. probably going to notice it. Before you say this, let me just preface this. Anyone comes at you, I'll fight them. <laughs> yeah, you'll we're take, we're the like Chris Grind defenders. That's who we are. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, like, okay, so always, always, and every fan depiction I've ever seen and every almost every description in the books and everything Cassie's always wearing, you know, the overalls and the boot and the giant boots and stuff. And I was just thinking, you know, I grew up on acreage, you know, in the middle of, you know, nowhere. And, you know, where everybody had, you know, horses or, or some kind of livestock or something. And I, you know, nobody ever really came to school or dressed like that, no matter what their jobs were at their house. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of put her in some, normal ish kind of nineties kind of a, you know, she was, she's got like a flannel shirt on. I think that's something she wears a lot too, you know, in mm -hmm. some of the descriptions and stuff. But, um, so I, and I'll tell you why I'm bringing this up in a minute. So I, I didn't do that in book one. Like she's never in overalls. And then also Marco's hair is kind of long and like, you know, kind of hangy downy kind of, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like yeah. The iconic look that he's always got. So the I Jonathan Taylor Thomas haircut. Yes. So no. I didn't do that yet either, but in book two, like I'm definitely throwing in a scene where Cassie's got her overalls on. Like that's kind of like something that I was hoping I kind of would hold back a little bit and then let that be something for book two to kind of give that to. So it wasn't an accident, I guess is what I'm saying. I did it on purpose. And, and there's a scene towards the beginning of the book where one of the girls mentions something, uh, says something to uh, Marco about his hair because his hair got messed up. And it looks weird. It looks different than it did in book one after they morphed back out of the birds from the first scene. Mm -hmm. And they said something about his hair and he's like, yeah, I'm trying something different. And, and uh, that seems to be an ongoing theme. Yeah. Yeah. Marco's got a whole entire plot point in book 10 of him getting a haircut that everyone hates, but he's like, I'm going to keep it. <laughs> Well, he's going to start. So in the, in book two, he's kind of starts adopting that, that hairstyle that everybody likes. It's still shorter, but I thought, you know, and it's only been like a week anyway, so it wouldn't get that long, but what he did have, he just kind of combing different. Mm -hmm. so I thought that would just give me something to do as I go. Like it changes the characters a little bit as I go to and keeps them fresh. Um, obviously Tobias is a bird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's not, not very far to go with him <laughs> for a while anyway. Yeah, not not for a while. Pretty stock template for a bird. <laughs> uh, so so where can people find you? Where can they find your work? Uh, well, mostly, you know, I, I have a website, chrisgrind.com, but I don't really update it much. Uh, I, I just don't know if people actually even go to websites for that kind of stuff anymore when Instagram and Twitter and uh, is so immediate. I, I would... I would say they do a little bit because personally, I went to David Mattingly's website and bought a Tobias print. <laughs> so there is, you could do that. Oh, I may have to pay somebody to revamp that site. <laughs> it's been, it's been a while and, and it's kind of something I just was putting together at the time. So, but like mostly on Instagram and it's uh, on Instagram, it's grindtastic, uh, G R I N E T A S T I C. And then on Twitter, it's just Chris grind with no space. And that's right. where I'm at most of the time. If you want to, anybody wants to know what I'm working on that's that's where you should should go right now because I just don't have time to be posting stuff on, on a website and loading stuff and doing all that it just Ooh, yeah, yeah. I just I just followed you on Instagram and hell yeah oh god that elephant Rachel drawing that's listeners if you have not seen Chris's interpretation of when Rachel's half ele elephant scaring the creep oh it's great 
That was actually a scene that um, I did change. I did adapt a little bit only because, you know, maybe I, I don't even know, like if in the nineties that wasn't still weird, but to have like, you know, Rachel's like what, 13, 14, maybe, uh-huh. you know, and then here's this dude who gets out of a car where he's clearly driving or riding with somebody who is driving and is basically trying to get her to get in the car with him. So this is an adult, you yeah. know, or 17 or 18 year old, probably dude. And that just seemed really bad to me, especially with a 12 year old daughter, like the implications were uh-huh. rough. Uh, yeah. So we talked a lot about, and that we talked a lot about that in the episode about how that was super nineties. Like if kids go outside, a creeper is going to get them. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that big time being. I remember kid. you guys talking about that too. Yeah, I mean it's so all the way I handled it was uh, I just made it like a younger kid about her, kind of maybe just a little older than her, and mm-hmm. it wasn't somebody who's he's not necessarily trying to get her into the car. He's just trying to he just trying to be a ladies' man and talk to her, but she's just not having it. No, fully you know? welcome then, that. Out. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a great <laughs> adaptation, and it's still like. That holds the soul of the scene just as well. Yeah, and and he still chases her down that alley and gets way more than he was hoping for. Uh, (laughs) Gets a full elephant. (laughs) I don't want to ruin all the jokes, but I did add a few really, what I think are pretty funny jokes into that that moment. Because there's nothing I like more than somebody getting so scared and then saying and doing really dumb stuff as a result (laughs) of it. Trying to get out of there too fast, you know, so. No, we're, we're fans of that. Again, we'd like to thank you for coming on. We don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, apart from Animorph and Time, are there any other Animorphs podcasts you've re- you'd suggest? There's one, and I don't think it's updated for quite a while now, but it was called Morph Club. And mm-hmm. that one, I-, I listened to that one quite a bit uh, while I was kind of working. Only because it was like, you know, two people who who really enjoyed the books and they would just laugh as they remembered stuff. And also, you know making fun of how much Mr. Three likes cats. You know, <laughs> he's he's a cat like lover. He's right. And and like those are those are things that maybe didn't occur to me maybe right away. You know, that he's such a oh I mean I already love Mr. Three because he's way too confident. Overconfident. <laughs> yes. Just you know, and then and then when they brought that up and now and then I, you know I'm reading book through reading back through book two and I'm like, oh my God, he does love cats. Yeah, he's That's, just like, what is this beautiful beast? I wish right. I could inhabit one. <laughs> Right. And so, you know, those, that's kind of why I, I enjoy listening to as much of the, the fan stuff as I can, just because, you know, things that don't occur to me, does you know, I'm, I'm not always going to catch everything. But if there's, you know, stuff like that, like the Visser 3 and the cat stuff, like I definitely want to dig into that a little bit because that's hilarious. Oh, yeah. And there's another part in one of the other books where Jake turns into a tiger and he's like, "Ooh, look at the power of that beautiful beast. <laughs> It's, yeah, him loving cats is a running theme. And hey, some of these podcasts teach you disgusting animal facts like ours do. That's fine. Truly disgusting. <laughs> we don't we don't have to get into it. It's fine. Yeah, I would like to put, like, anybody listening to this, to, it's probably too late because you've already listened to the to the book, the, the, the episode on book three, but don't look up duck penises. Don't do it. <laughs> It's not good. It's very bad. Not good. It's and I shouldn't have done it. And my wife didn't appreciate me showing her. <laughs> Again, apologies to Chris's wife, his family, <laughs> his God, everybody. It's bad. <laughs> well, well, thank you for joining us. We'll let you go. This has been great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank thank you for agreeing and thank you for like genuinely from a a child animorphs fans like genuinely thank you for the work you're doing. Everything I've seen so far, I just smile 
ear to ear. It looks fucking fantastic. So thank you for doing this and taking the time to work so hard on it. That means a lot to it means a lot to me. Means a lot to a lot of us. So thank you, genuinely. Oh, you're welcome. But I mean, I'm just. It's been such a welcome, welcoming, you know, uh, community that it's it's just been a pleasure anyway. Yeah, and, and you know, um, they, they know where to reach you on Twitter for all the good compliments. And uh, for all the, the negative comments, uh, go to Animorphin Time yeah, on Twitter. Anybody and, wants uh, <laughs> to talk shit about Chris, you go to Animorphin Time on Twitter. I'll fuck you up. Enter the ring of debate. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thank you. We'll, yeah, no, we'll let you go. We're not yeah. great at endings, as you probably know. Uh well, definitely, definitely buy you know the, the book coming out in October. Oh yeah, for October sure. Twenty ninth, sixth. Pre-order it. Pre-order ten. Yeah, pre-order, pre-order it, please. Oh, I can get Sean. My buddy Sean like is big in comics where we're from, and he'll go to the comic book stores and we'll make people order it because we're both tall, big dudes, so we'll just scare people into ordering it. Good. Good. <laughs> it's a creative new advertising campaign. Just yeah, get yeah. tall people to scare yeah. people. To you buy get products. tall goons. <laughs> It's the oldest profession in the world. You get goons. <laughs> Thank you again. We'll we'll let you go. All right. Thanks guys.